Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. So on today's episode, we're giving a little info on what to expect when attending a quilt festival. We're headed to the one in Houston next week, so we wanted to share some tips for those who have a festival on their calendars. We'll also share some heartfelt stories of quilters making a difference in their community and some ideas for getting organized before you attend a quilt retreat. And on this week's Getting Social, we chat with Sarah Bond, a talented modern quilter who shares about the rich history of quilting in her family and how that's influenced the designs she's making today. So let's dive in. I'm here with Allison Gam, the designer of Quilts and More. So later this week, our group is headed to International Quilt Market in Houston, Texas. While the market is for people in the industry, it's followed by Quilt Festival, which is open to all. We thought it'd be fun to just chat about how to survive a big quilt festival, whether you're traveling to Houston next week or planning to visit a future show in your area. Lindsay and I both remember our first festivals, and it can be overwhelming. But to really make the most of your time there, we have a few tips to share. First, let's talk about what to wear. So you really want to be wearing comfortable shoes. I've tried in the past to wear something stylish, and I always end up regretting it. You may be on your feet for hours, standing and walking, so make sure your feet are prepared. Be sure to pack some band-aids and Tylenol just in case. You also may want to dress in layers. Convention centers can be too cold or too hot, but never really seem to be the perfect temperature. Yeah, I agree. And don't forget to pack a bag. If you're doing shopping, you definitely want to have something to carry your purchases in. It can be a backpack or large tote, but remember, those can get heavy after a while. So if you're buying a lot, it may be best to bring a small rolling carrier to avoid shoulder strain. And don't forget about snacks and water. Many shows have food on site, but the lines can be long and the food can be a little pricey. So just make sure to pack your own water and some small snacks like a granola bar, fruit, or nuts to satisfy you. And if you need a full meal, consider going off-site. Now let's talk about navigating the show. Most festivals have a map available, a list of vendors, or an online app with that information so that you can plan in advance who you want to see. If you're really excited to see a specific vendor, plan to visit them first. People are there to shop, so if you wait too long, they might run out of products before you arrive to them. After you've hit your must-sees, you can walk row by row to make sure you don't miss anything. And if you're on a budget, you may also need to plan how to spend. When you're surrounded by so many quilting goodies, it can be really easy to go overboard. So consider writing a shopping list before you arrive to the show of specific things you're looking for or bring only enough money to treat yourself. And don't forget that many festivals also have quilt exhibits in the same building. So if you need a little shopping break, make time to wander through the exhibits and admire the quilts. Many times the exhibit halls are quieter and less crowded so you can truly recharge before heading back. You can even take some time to sit down, have some water, and recharge. Another way to recharge is to socialize. You're surrounded by hundreds of passionate quilters, shop owners, and designers. So make some time to grab a coffee with others or ask those around you what they've seen that they've loved. You may discover a new find or a new friend. Now let's chat a little bit about must-have things to bring to a show. These are common things that people forget, but they make a big impact when at the festival. 
The first is a suitcase that's bigger than you need or a second empty suitcase, especially if you're flying and not driving. Make sure you have extra room for all of your purchases. Yeah, that's when I learned the hard way, <laughs> when you pack only for what you're bringing and forget that you're coming home with more yes. things. Okay, and don't forget to bring a pen, notebook, or even a highlighter. So you may be circling things in catalogs or mapping out a path to take at the show or even writing down phone numbers of people you meet uh, or taking notes on products or fabric you love. And, you know, thinking of that, like you get handed so many business cards and sometimes it's nice to just like jot on there who that person was and what you wanted to remember about them. And don't forget to show off your style. Quilters are visual people. Adorn some fun enamel pins or wear a cute lanyard. You can even sew your own clothes or bag. It will be a talking point to meet others and give you a chance to show your creativity. And there's so many fun enamel pins out that are quilting related now. So I definitely have bought a few just to wear every day. You may also want to bring a handwork project or, you know, something like EPP or embroidery. So after a day looking at all that quilty goodness, you'll really feel inspired and want to do something creative. Plus, if you make any new friends, you can suggest a craft night in the hotel lobby. You know, I do that. Like, after a whole day, I'm feeling so inspired. I'm like, oh, I just want to get my hands on something. Yeah, or (laughs) if you make a purchase and you just can't wait to start something with it, it gives you an excuse to use a little bit. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And this may seem obvious, but don't leave your phone at home. You can use it to set alarms, take pictures, search social media to see what other attendees are excited about, find local restaurants, and more. You may also want to bring a charger with you so you can power up if your battery runs low. Yeah, a lot of festivals have charging stations, Mm -hmm. so you can sit at a table and just chat with others and charge your phone. And also, I just want to point this out, if you are going to Quilt Festival or you want to follow along with what we're seeing at Quilt Market, you can follow us at All People Quilt or follow the hashtag Quilt Market so you can see what everyone's posting. And a lot of times that's a great way to find new things that you may have walked by the first time. Yeah, definitely. There are some markets that I haven't been able to attend, so I love just cruising on Instagram and seeing what what's happening. And don't forget your smile. Yes, we know your time at the festival can be exhausting, both physically and mentally, but a smile gives you energy, lifts your mood, and makes you more approachable when meeting others. So we hope these tips help you have a successful trip to your next festival. Trust us, you'll have a blast while you're there. And while we won't be at Quilt Festival, we will be at the industry-only quilt market. So if you'll be there later this week, come see us at our booth. We'd love to meet up with you. We'll be back after this quick ad break. I'm back with Allison for Behind the Scenes, a segment where we share a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening in the office. So I thought I'd share some fun stories, a little behind-the-scenes from photography days. We tend to have about four to five days of photography every month, and I thought there are some fun little tricks we use that you might not know. (laughs) Um, The first one that surprises a lot of people is for our bed shots, we actually use foam mattresses. They're way easier to store, they're lightweight, easy to move around, and, you know, 
when you cover them up with beautiful quilts, you can't tell what's under there. Yeah, but definitely you don't want to come to our set and sit down on the bed. Right. <laughs> might not be very sturdy. <laughs> um, we also have um, what we call flat shot days where we photograph all of the quilts flat so you can get a good look at everything that's going on. And because we're crawling around on the floor and using lint rollers and making sure those quilts are clean, you cannot wear black on these days because all of the little threads and lint will be all over you. <laughs> I'm sure most quilters can relate to that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then when we have styled dates, we're shooting usually in our photo studio, which there are a lot of different sets going on and a lot of kitchens in there as well, cooking food. That usually smells amazing and is so oh, tantalizing. <laughs> um, but sometimes when they have finished baking or whatever they might be doing, they'll put it out on a table. And if we need a little food prop, we'll just go grab some and put it in our shop. And that's from the test kitchens, right? So when yep. they're testing recipes for some of the other magazines our company owns, they'll <laughs> they'll yeah. test it and put the food out for everyone. It's a nice little perk. Um, and then I just think this is funny. I and usually end up hand modeling for a lot of shots um, that we do with products or just, you know, miscellaneous things. And my mom recently told me that when she flips through our magazines, she always tries to find out like, oh, are those Allison's hands? You know? <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. Allison also has the best handwriting in the office. So anytime <laughs> we need like a fake something written on a piece of paper or like in a journal, Allison does the handwriting yeah, called for in. us. <laughs> thanks, Allison. Yep, thanks. Now Allison will be doing Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. Hey everyone, so I got this story online from the Statesman Journal. In 1979, a young girl named Chu was on a plane from Thailand to Salem, Oregon. She left a refugee camp to start a new life in the U.S. Pauline, a member of a local church that sponsored the family's travel to the U.S., was at the airport when Chu and her father arrived. Pauline doesn't remember a lot from that day, but Chu remembers it vividly. She said this about her first encounter with Pauline. She reached out to me, put her hand on my head, and she told me everything would be okay and that she would take care of me. As time went on, Pauline and her husband continued to help Chu and her family get acclimated to their new home. It was not an easy time for Chu's family as they didn't speak any English and owned only what they had on their backs. Throughout this process, Pauline and Chu became close friends and thought of one another as family. When Chu had her first child at the age of 13, which is traditional in Hmong culture, Pauline was right by her side. Chu wanted to show her appreciation for Pauline, but didn't have much at the time. What she did have was amazing sewing talent ranging from making clothing to applique and cross-stitch. It's tradition for Hmong women to learn these skills at a young age. Chu's grandmother taught her when she was just three years old. Chu said, I had no toys to play with. I never played with any kids. You had to play with needles and sew your own clothes. Chu used her talents to gift Pauline with various pandao, which means flower cloth. Pandao are sometimes referred to as story cloth because every stitch has a story. The squares that Chu stitched depicted stories of her life back in Thailand. One square depicts Chu's family fleeing Laos and crossing the Mekong River on a homemade raft. Another square shows her village during harvest season. There's also a square depicting two women and the words, I heart you, which shows Chu's love for Pauline. Over the years, Pauline was gifted 24 squares, each one stitched by Chu or one of her family members. All of these Pan Dao were safely stored in plastic bags in Pauline's closet. 
She would look at them and think, these things should be put in some kind of order and have their own story. So Pauline decided to turn all of these squares into a beautiful quilt. She enlisted the help of a family member who was a professional quilter. Once the quilt was complete, Pauline couldn't wait to show Chu and her family. She and her husband drove from Oregon to Wisconsin to surprise Chu with the quilt. It was something so amazing, Chu said. I never imagined anybody would put anything like that together. When I saw it, I had tears in my eyes. Pauline took the quilt back home with her to display in her own home. She showed the quilt to as many people as she could and even took it to quilt shows. She had always intended to pass the quilt on to Chu and thought of the perfect occasion to gift it to her. Chu had always dreamed of opening her own restaurant, and her dream has become a reality. Mama's Noodle Bar opened on the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh campus and had a launch party on October 5th. The quilt is now proudly displayed on the wall of the restaurant. I love that. What a really meaningful way to showcase your life. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we can all relate to having things stuffed in our closets. And it's nice that she took the time to piece them into one beautiful work of art. Yeah, so if you're in that Wisconsin area, definitely check it out. Yeah. I'm here with Elizabeth Stumbo, the designer of American Patchwork and Quilting for Get Organized, a segment where we give storage tips for sewing your space. So what are you sharing about today, Elizabeth? Well, Lindsay, I just returned from a week long, weekend-long quilt retreat with my family. Fun. We I know, it was so much fun. We tend to do this about twice a year, once in the fall and once in the spring. So we just had our fall retreat. So I thought since I'm fresh off of that and everything's fresh in my mind and current, I thought I could share some tips on packing for retreats. Because um, that's harder than you think. It really is. <laughs> and it's like you don't want to forget anything when you're there. So this year we actually stayed at um, the Log Cabin Quilting Shop in Elkhorn, Iowa. And it was the first time we had stayed there. And it was so much fun. Robin was such a great and accommodating host. We had a great time um, and actually got quite a bit done. So that was really fun. But um, we were lucky because this quilt retreat was in the back of her shop. And so we had access to her shop. So if we forgot anything... It wasn't a huge deal, which was so nice. But that's not always the case when you're going on retreats. Sometimes you can be really far away from a nearby shop. So packing and having a list is really important to your success of your retreat. So just some general tips. If you are staying overnight, you can ask the host ahead of time if you need to supply your own bedding, if you need to bring towels or a blow dryer, all those little things that if you don't have to pack them, don't. It'll save you so much time. Um, and also, I would recommend asking ahead of time about paper products or utensils for food. Just those little things that might slip your mind. Um, that can also include any serving or special serving utensils um, for food prep. I know one year on our staff retreat, we forgot a wine opener, Lindsay. And it was, like, <laughs> devastating to uh, get there. We had the wine. We were all ready to enjoy it and didn't have a wine opener. Yeah. So. Also, things like Tupperware if you have oh. leftovers. Otherwise, you're just going to have to throw the food out. Yeah, good idea. So all those little things you don't always think about when you're focused on your projects and your supplies, full <laughs> supplies. So then if you're also staying somewhere that is a dedicating, dedicated sewing retreat, many of those large items such as a large cutting mat, ironing boards and irons, and even design walls may already be in that space. So if you don't have to pack those large items, don't. It can save you so much time. But maybe just take some time to check with your host ahead of time to see if those things are provided. And it's always just a great idea to check with them about lighting also. Um, if, you, if you've never been to that space before, you might not know what the lighting's like. And they might be able to tell you if there's a lot of natural light and windows 
or if you plan to sew late into the evening, it might be a good idea to bring a few task lighting lamps with you because we all know how important lighting is for midnight sewing. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when you're packing your projects and tools, just be sure to read your instructions thoroughly before leaving for your retreat. So you know ahead of time if your pattern has any special requirements or recommendations for specialty tools. I know that I have definitely gone to a retreat before without looking at the pattern, um, only to realize I got there and I needed a special ruler they recommended, or I didn't bring enough um, paper, printed out papers for like foundation paper piecing, <laughs> which was a big bummer. <laughs> so just taking the time to look at that ahead of time can save you some frustrations later. And that's also one of the reasons I love taking kits to quilt retreats, because everything you need is already put together um, and so portable. But just make sure to look for your instructions ahead of time and make sure they're included in the bag. Um, I also personally love to bring multiple projects to work on, just in case I finish a project sooner than I thought. Or I might just get bored or really frustrated with something and need to take a break from it. So I would recommend taking multiple projects and maybe some variety of techniques in those projects, too. Or even something non-quilting related, like yeah. a coloring book. Yes. On my last retreat, I did bring a coloring book and also just some little embroidery samples to work on just for when you need a little break from your sewing machine. Those projects are also great to do in the evening when you need a break and you just want to sit and enjoy people's company. I like to work on some binding projects at night or even like English paper piecing is great for the evenings. So then I'd also recommend once you return home from your trip, if there are items that you specifically take to retreats, like a mini iron, a portable pressing mat, or like extension cords, go ahead and just like unpack those and put them in a place all together. So the next time you're getting ready to go on your retreat, they will be handy and you won't forget them. So those are just a few of the general tips. If you're looking for some more specific checklists, we have a really great principle um, list that you can download. We'll be sure to link it in the show notes below. And um, yeah, happy retreating, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Elizabeth. It sounds like you had a blast on your retreat. Such a good time. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social with Jess. I'm your host, Jess Ziegler. Today, I am honored to bring in my conversation with Sarah Bond. I have been following her work for years on Instagram, and I'm such a fan of her style. I think that she does modern traditionalism in particular, as well as any artist out there. Um, go check her out on Instagram. She is SLB Philly, and you can search for her on Facebook by typing in Sarah Bond Quilter, and we'll include both links in the show notes. I absolutely love this chat with her. Um, so here's the interview. Welcome to the show, Sarah Bond. Thank you. I'm thrilled <laughs> to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you could join us. Could you give our audience a little bit of a background of your personal life and quilting life and any other information you'd like to include? <laughs> hmm. Well, I've been quilting. It's very hard to say this, but I've been quilting for about 40 years now. I made my first quilt in 1979. Back then, we made quilts with cardboard templates and, you know, scissors. So it's much easier now to quilt, but it's still it's still a lot of fun. And I made my first quilt without really knowing too much about a family history that I have with quilting. Um, I was making this quilt. It was the summer between my junior and senior year of college. And I was making this quilt, and my mother came in, and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm making a quilt. She said, why? <laughs> And I said, well, I mean, I had been a, a sewer uh, mm -hmm. before that, but I'd never made a quilt. And I said, I'm not really sure 
exactly why, but I feel that I have to do this. And then subsequently, I found out that there have been a number of prominent quilters in my family. And I have, I subsequently found a whole bunch of quilts from um, one of my foremothers. And uh, so I I sort of feel like maybe it was meant to be. Absolutely. So you are in the Philadelphia area? Is that Mm -hmm. right? Yes, I live in Philadelphia. I grew up in Chicago, but I moved to Philadelphia, oh gosh, 30 years ago, something like that. So I sort of feel more or less like a native Philadelphian. Sure. And you have a quilting community there. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's funny. I really only joined a guild maybe six or eight years ago. I can't remember how long. But before that, when my children were small, I was quilting, but I couldn't join a guild because they were all in the suburb and they all started at seven o'clock and I couldn't get home from work and then get out to the suburbs. So I started teaching quilting. First, I taught at my kid's school and then I taught through a local community learning program. And the great thing was that they let anybody teach. So I... (laughs) You know, I would (laughs) figure out the block the day before I had to go teach it. And then I would teach it. And um, what I really wanted to do was make a community. And um, it worked. Awesome. Uh, So I I ended up with a lot of friends who were almost as hooked as I was. And we've some of us have been quilting together since then. That's amazing. Now, do you you have a studio in Philadelphia and teach there as well? I do teach there. And it was probably maybe five years ago that I started having a place outside my home, I decided, okay, you know, my kids are grown, and I can think about having dedicating a space and dedicating time to this part of my life. So I started out with a small studio, but now I have a larger studio in an old commercial building in the Germantown section of Philadelphia. So I quilt there on my own. I have classes there. We have something that we call Quiltapalooza, which we do every once in a while, which is a just a sort of an open sew and folks come and they do their own projects or they work with a bucket of scraps that seems to just generate and multiply uh, <laughs> without control. Right. <laughs> overwhelming. But yeah, we have a great time and it's, um, it's really nice to surround myself with other quilters and with fabric and with that creativity that comes out of both of those things. Yeah, that's so wonderful. It's great to have a, a community to keep you going and interested and in, in for the friendships. Yeah, that's... Wilty friends are the best. That's, that's <laughs> Hashtag that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to talk to you about your upcoming book. Yes. So I'm I'm working on a book with CNT Publishing. And this book is, it's all about Lone Stars and Lone Star Variations. And one of the reasons that I'm working on Lone Stars is that my great-grandmother, Luvinia, uh, made a lot of quilts. And among the best and most beautiful ones that, you know, are still around are her Lone Stars. Luvinia was born in 1858. And it wasn't until this year when I was working on some of this that I realized I was born in 1958. And so I know, right? So here I am, um, you know, fulfilling this legacy that Lavinia started, you know, so long ago. And so I've been working on Lone Stars, but also taking those elements of the Lone Star, you know, the diamonds and the way that they sort of flow together and make a pattern, looking at different ways to use those elements. And, and of course, a Lone Star with all of those diamonds, and they're all lined up, hopefully, uh, <laughs> and, you know, making their magic. But when you turn them different ways, you know, they make new magic. It seems to have been sort of a a self-fueling engine because the more that I make, the more they come to me. And it's really been quite amazing. And I do, 
you know, just as I seem to have been inspired by my grandmothers, my great grandmothers before I knew about them, she still seems to be inspiring me and invigorating me and filling me with new energy and new ideas. So I'm going to ride that wave as long as it goes. Absolutely. At what point in time did you were, did you become aware of her amazing quilts? Like I've seen a few pictures and they're just stunning. So there were quilts on the bed when I was growing up. Oh, and okay. I, I really never knew um, who made them. There were just a few. And I remember um, asking my father about it. And he told me that Luvenia uh, had made them. And I said, who's that? And he said that was his maternal grandmother. So, you know, Luvenia, as I said, was born in 1858. And as uh, an African-American woman, she was born a slave and then she obviously was uh, became emancipated or however you want to put that. And uh, she then, you know, proceeded to live the life of a black woman in during Reconstruction. And then so I try to imagine what her life was like <laughs> and how she faced all these challenges and raised two children, lived in the pretty deep south her whole life and still produced these just amazing works of art and I've heard stories about her that she was very strong-willed um, and one of the funny stories is that my grandmother Luvin um, not Luvinia, I'm sorry my grandmother Rosabelle was her second daughter Rosabelle apparently liked to tell the story that Luvinia always preferred her sister Bertha and when my father told me that when Luvinia died uh, in 1943 so she lived a good long life Wow. Um, Rosabelle went over and got all the quilts before Bertha could get them. <gasps> and that is why I have probably a dozen no. of Lavinia's quilts. Yes. And the funny thing is that only maybe four or five of those had I ever seen as a child. But when my father died, I found maybe eight more quilts in the basement. And it was as though he was still hiding them from Bertha. Oh, my gosh. I know, right? <laughs> That's a great so history. So this gift of these quilts was a gift that kept on giving because I knew these ones from um, my childhood. And then, you know, all of a sudden here were more, even more. And uh, so it really was pretty amazing. She sounds like a force. Like, it doesn't surprise me that you, like you said, are riding the wave of inspiration. And it's that's just incredible. Mm -hmm. I love that story. Yeah, I can still feel her energy. Yeah. Have you ever remade her, any of her quilts? Made Luvinia's. I've remade some quilts from some other ancestors. I have made new Lone Stars, but none exactly like hers. I did buy some really sweet peppered cottons. Do you mm -hmm. know those? Yeah. Much, much of the palette of those correspond to the palette in the, in the one big Lone Star of Luvinia's. So I do have that fabric stacked up and I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do. One of these days, yes. One of these She'll days. inspire you when the time comes. <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm sure I'll be to wake me from a deep sleep and tell me to get <laughs> Well, speaking of how your um, processes or your inspiration has kind of led to these other iterations, I'm just kind of blown away by your lateral Lone Star design. Tell me a little bit about how that came about. Well, that was just me taking a look at those blades. You know, a Lone Star is made up generally of eight blades, and those blades are made up of a series of diamonds. There can be, you know, a whole lot of them or fewer of them. And, you know, you get this sort of radiating pattern out um, from the center. And when I started doing these uh, variations, I sort of reached into my stash and picked out this jelly roll of, it was a Kona jelly roll with 
you know, a bunch of colors. And I thought, well, I wonder how this will work. And so I did take that and I got out my my pencil and paper and did a little bit of math to try to figure out how many diamonds I could get from this jelly roll and then how many blades that would come into and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. I came up with this pattern that produces 18 of these blades. Okay. So, of course, that is more than you need for a star. <laughs> So I decided, well, what if I take those and instead of orienting them around a center like a traditional Lone Star, what if I take them and I lay them end to end and let them travel across the quilt? And I really liked the way it came out. It's so exciting. There's movement. There's uh, sort of a celebration. I mean, it's active and it's it's energizing. And I like it a lot. It's it's Wonderful. And I don't think I would put it together if I was just looking at it that they were blades of a Lone Star. I mean, it's just so, so neat. Do you have a, a date of publication um, no. tentatively? Yeah. I'm okay. Still in very beginning stages here. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But uh, yeah, it's exciting. Is it going to include family history as well? Yes. Yes, we're gonna we're gonna give a little uh, glimpse into the into the life of um, Lavinia, and I have a few pictures of her and some stories about her that I've gleaned from family uh, discussions, but also from you know taking that information and going on to you know genealogy website, and it's really interesting how much you can actually find and verify through one of those one of those websites. It's- yeah. Have you done a DNA test yourself to get matches? Not yet. But um, my daughter did uh, get that for me for Christmas. And so I just have to spit in the tube and mail it away. <laughs> it's your only job. You had one job. <laughs> one job. Oh, that's neat. I I did that maybe a year ago. Yeah, it's a way, just one of the ways to attach you to the past. But interesting that you were still able to readily find records and, and that kind of thing when you started digging in. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, you know, there's, for me, at least at this level, I haven't, you know, really gone to the level of going to places and looking up records. So for me, I can only go back on certain branches as far as the records go. And I have, you know, I have census information where I know that there is some, actually Lavinia's husband, where I actually can see him on the 1860 census, but only because I know that um, he was the son of this white man who um, had this, actually, he had this, I guess it was a common law relationship with Julia, his uh, his wife and, and Esmond's um, mother. And so in 1860, he's listed in the property of this man. <sighs> but in, in 1870, he's listed as the son of this man. Wow. They have a space where they say, what is this person in the household doing? And it says attending school. Uh, wow. I know. It's It just blows me away that that is just not even, I mean, it's a long time ago, but it's also like you can trace records and see. You can. You can. It's just mind-blowing. Um, so you mentioned that you teach in your studio, and you are, I'm talking to you right now in Seattle. So you also travel to teach? I've been lucky enough to meet some of the folks when I was teaching at, at a quilter's affair at Sisters in um Oregon the last couple of years. And so I'm real excited to see these folks because you know how you have these um, online relationships, friendships, and then you realize, oh, I'm going to meet this person in real life. So uh-huh. 
I'm kind of excited about that. So if anyone is interested in getting you to come to their guild or group, they can get in touch with you on Facebook or Instagram? Yes. So on Instagram, um, my handle is SLB Philly and I'm Sarah Bond on Facebook. But you do usually have to put in Sarah Bond quilter or something like that. Okay. A lot of Sarah Bonds on Facebook, apparently. (laughs) I'll make sure to um, link that in the show notes in case anyone wants just a direct link. They would be very lucky to get you to come and share your knowledge with with any group or guild. You're such an inspiring quilter. (laughs) I do have a good time. I have a good time quilting and I have a good time teaching. So I'm always, I'm always happy. I'm always happy. (laughs) As, so I, I just do feel so fortunate because, you know, I had a, a conventional job for most of my life and I did this on the side. And now just the stars and possibly the ancestors are aligned <laughs> to make this happen so that, you know, I'm able to sort of transition into this as a, what do they call it? Act two or oh uh, sure yeah whatever it is they're calling it these days when, when uh, old ladies get to do what they wanted to do all the time. I didn't think you were over 40, so (laughs) that's wonderful to hear. Um, Thank you so much for your time today and just sharing your story with us. And I look forward to everyone listening and then looking your um, quilts up online and just following the progress of your book. Whenever that comes out, I just know it's going to be amazing. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. It was such a such a delight to uh, receive your message. Oh, yay. I'm glad. Thank you. I cannot wait to get my hands on her book when it comes out. So be on the lookout for that. And make sure you sign up for one of her, her classes if she's in your area. Um, or better yet, bring her to your area. Thanks for listening. If you ever need to get in touch with me, I'm at Threaded Quilting on Instagram. And I would love to hear from you. Have a great week.